vacation, one of the highlights was being at Cedar Point Amusement Park. Spent a couple days there over in Ohio, and that is a roller coaster capital of the world. They've got this one called the Dragster, where you go from zero to 120 in four seconds. And you just feel your cheeks going back from the G-forces. <laughs> it's a wild ride. And then I worked on my honeydew list, and I uh, made a little bit of a dent in it. Uh, also, many of you know that my dad has Alzheimer's, and uh, I have guardianship over him, and we put him in a uh, nursing home, Lexington Medical Center, in Lake Zurich in May. So over vacation, we had an estate sale uh, for him. Uh, unfortunately, last week, he took a real hard fall and hit his head really hard and was in the hospital for five days and had a brain injury. So his uh, cognitive abilities and physical abilities have gone down even further. So that was uh, very discouraging, but uh, God is faithful. And I appreciate your prayers uh, for our family in that way. Uh, and again, overall, it was a very refreshing and re-energizing time, and I'm really excited about this fall. I'm excited about uh, just hanging out with you guys and uh, doing life together, and uh, we've got a lot of great activities uh, coming up, as uh, Krista was talking about, and uh, looking forward to continuing to teach here on the weekends and uh, teaching uh, the Word and seeing all our lives change uh, because of that. We're in the midst of a series entitled Learning to Live Like Jesus, studying different passages in the book of Matthew. And I'm so grateful for the wonderful teachers we had while I was gone, Pastor Justin, Pastor Richard, and uh, Larry Fowler, and Luke Petrie, and Don Windmiller. They did a wonderful job. And I'm also appreciative to uh, Pastor Richard and leading our ministry while I was gone. He's a wonderful associate pastor, gifted in so many ways, and appreciate all he did as well as everyone else. Well, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 18 today, so take your Bibles out. And this is a a challenging passage. There's a lot of challenges here for every one of us, so uh, open up your heart and let the Spirit speak to you. We're going to start out right with Matthew chapter 18. The theme today is confronting sin, confronting sin. So we look at Matthew 18, verse 15, and it says, If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault. If your brother sins against you, so let's think here for a moment. If your brother, that means a brother or sister in Christ, in this context we'll see it means within your local family, your local church family. So that means if someone here sins against you. And that happens, of course, right? Because we're all sinners. And when we're in relationships over a long period of time, uh, we certainly can sin against one another. It could have been something they said that really hurt you, that really, uh, again, offended you or hurt you deeply. Uh, They sinned against you, and you need to tell them about that. Or it could be that they lied to you, or they went behind your back. Uh, They gossiped about you. Uh, They took advantage of you in some way. Uh, Maybe you were in some type of business uh, deal and uh, they cheated you in some way. What the Bible says is when that happens, When a brother sins against you, your responsibility is to find three other people to talk to about it and tell them how deeply this person hurts you and how terrible they are and get them all fired up about what this person did to you. Is that correct? No. But that's what people do because we're people. (laughs) We're sinners. That's the way the world operates, right? And so many times we just follow along because that's a lot easier track to follow. It makes us feel better about ourselves and uh, other people mad at this person, but it's wrong. We see it here in our next passage, 1 Peter 2.1. 
Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. That's slander. That's gossip. That's slandering another person's reputation, speaking them, speaking of them in a negative way, defaming their character. And I tell you what, it is so easy to fall into gossip. Why do we fall so easily into gossip? Well, because, again, we want to affirm how we feel about the situation. We want other people to know so that they can sympathize with us. We want to feel better than other people. Uh, we, again, just like to do it because it's really interesting. That's how the tabloids make all their money, right? People are just interested in other people's problems. What we see clearly here is that if somebody sins against you, you're not to go to somebody else. You go to, to go directly to that person, to go directly to them and speak to them about what they've done to you. So, you know, think about that this week. You know, do you struggle with gossip? Have you gossiped this past week? And you need to realize that's sin, and that's something that hurts the heart of God and is against His holiness. Oh, we move on here. We see in our next passage, we we'll go back to Matthew 18, 15. If your brother sins against you, what are you supposed to do? Go and show him his fault just between the two of you. Just one-on-one. -on -one. Now, again, it's okay to bring in a confidant, maybe a friend of yours, <clears throat> if you're not sure exactly how to confront a person, because most people are not very good at confronting people. I mean... Our own families, you know, we can confront pretty well. But uh, people outside our families, uh, we're not sure to how to go about it. So sometimes you need some coaching. So find a small group leader, a pastor, uh, somebody who is uh, mature in these areas and say, I really need to confront this person about a sin, but I'm not sure how to approach it. Now, that's not gossip. It's all your intent and your motive for why you share certain information. Uh, but you need to go and show them their sin. Ever prayed to God that a person would see the light, right? And finally see the light? Well, maybe God is calling you to show them the light, to take a flashlight and put it right in their face. <laughs> you know? Get up in their face and say, hey, you got a problem, man. <laughs> Your problem's impacting me. You sinned against me. Now, you don't want to put it that way. We'll talk about that in a moment, but... That's basically what you're doing. You're being used of God to deal with their sin. So you're to go to them privately and talk it out. And many times, you know, as you dialogue about relational issues, you'll find that there was sin in your life or possibly uh, you misunderstood. Many times it gets worked out in that way. So there's a lot of different ways it can go. But the point is that you need to take the uh, proactive step of dealing with it instead of just saying, well, I'm going to forget about it. Very important that you go to a person. Well, let's talk about how you go. Galatians 6, verses 1 and 2. Galatians 6, verses 1 and 2. It says, Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the love of Christ. So, similar idea to what we see Christ teaching. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, this is a little broader, and this would also apply to Matthew chapter 18, in the sense <clears throat> that they're caught in a sin. It might not be a sin against you, but they're in sin. They're doing something wrong. And you realize it, and God is prompting you to talk to them about it. It might not be directly against you. There's direct sin, and then there's indirect sin. Sin that's directed against you, or sin just in a brother or sister's life that you feel called to speak to them about. So, brother, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. So who should do it? Those people who are spiritual. 
It doesn't say those people who are perfect, or none of us would be confronting anybody, right? But those people who are spiritual, those people who are sensitive to God, those people who are keeping their spiritual heart clean, they're dealing with the sin in their life. Those people who are spiritually mature, they should restore him gently. That word restore means to repair, like fixing a broken arm, setting an arm so it would heal properly. Uh, again, you're restoring or you're helping them to restore their relationship with God, to restore their relationship with you, to restore their relationship with other people. You love them. That's why you're doing this. You're not doing it to get down on them and to make them feel bad about themselves. You're doing it because you love them. And you want them to be restored. But there's a key word. You want to do it gently. Gently. Some people have personalities. Well, they'll just, <laughs> just be very judgmental and harsh and that kind of thing. And that's not what's asked for here. Uh, the, the idea is is that you go to a person and you communicate to them, hey, listen, you know, we're all broken people. We're all just saved by grace. And we all need each other. And in my relationship with you, this happened, or I've seen this in your life. And I really felt compelled by the Spirit to talk to you about this. Again, it's the Holy Spirit that's leading you there. Tell, tell them that. And, and I want to see what you feel about this, or what you think about this. This is what I've seen. And, and you just go so humbly. I mean, when you truly confront a person about their sin, that's a very humble thing to do. It doesn't sound like it, but if you do it right, you go in such an attitude that, hey, you know, I struggle with sin every day. And I know you struggle with it too. And, and I just have come very humbly to help you. God's called me to do this. And I don't know how you're going to respond, but I just want to love you through this. Very important. And he says something interesting here. But watch yourself or you also may be tempted. Now, in the past when I've studied this, I've been kind of confused. I'm thinking, okay. If somebody is sinning by taking the Lord's name in vain, breaking one of the Ten Commandments, they use the name of Jesus Christ very casually. They say the name of God very casually. Oh, my God, those type of things. And that's wrong. That's wrong. The only time you should speak the name of God or Jesus Christ is in the right context out of respect and out of worship for them. So you have a friend who just is constantly using the Lord's name in vain, and that's really the worst swear word. Some people think other words are the worst swear word. The worst swear word you can speak is the name of Jesus Christ or God in the wrong context, when you're shocked, when you're angry, when whatever, you know. Uh, so now, so if does that mean, don't be tempted, does that mean if I'm going to confront that person that I might be tempted to take the Lord's name in vain? Well, no. No, that doesn't make any sense at all, does it? What it's saying is, is that you can be tempted in a couple ways. If I go to confront a person with their sin, I can be tempted to be prideful. I can be tempted to have a sense of spiritual superiority and say, I've got my act together. I am the model Christian, and I'm coming to help you. So you can achieve this level of spirituality that I've achieved. Let me tell you what's wrong with you. Now that is pride. That's a temptation that we can fall into and buy into and do. Is be prideful as we confront another person about their sin. Now the other extreme is saying, I'm not going to confront them about their sin. That's risky. I don't know what they're going to say. It's none of my business. It's fear. So you do nothing. And you know what? That's sin as well. That's a sin of omission. If God says, hey, if somebody sins against you or I'm prompting you to confront somebody about their sin and you don't do it, that's wrong. You're not obeying God. So those are two sins you can commit. You can be prideful as you confront them or you can run. <laughs> that's sin, right? And we need to be aware of that. 
It says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. It's very interesting in that context, that command, carry each other's burdens. Did you know confronting a person with their sin is carrying their burdens? It's kind of odd. I always thought of carrying a person's burdens as praying with them and listening to their struggles and helping them in tangible ways, bringing a meal or whatever I could do to encourage them during difficult times. But when you confront a person about their sin, you're carrying their burdens because one of the burdens they have is their sin. When you are in sin, that's a burden on your life. And if you can come alongside a person and remove that burden by challenging them to repent, their burden is going to be lighter. Their life is going to be easier. That's how we carry another person's burdens and minister to them. Well, what is the goal here? What are we working towards? Well, Matthew 18, 15, If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. If he listens to you, if he repents of his sin, acknowledges that it's wrong, tells God, and moves in the right direction to the power of Christ, if he listens to you, you have won your brother over. Now, the word won means financial gain back in that day. But this is a spiritual gain. Now, we all like financial gains, right? <laughs> but a spiritual gain is so much more precious because you've helped this person to lighten their load, to challenge them to remove this sin, to repent from this sin, and you have helped them to grow closer to Jesus. You have deepened your relationship with them. Uh, you have fired them up Spiritually, God's used you in that way. And that's the whole idea is that God is using you to influence this person's life. That is a great gain. Now, you might be saying, there's no way I'm confronting anybody about their sin. Well, again, you need to think through this. Christ commands it. And look at all the benefits that can come through confronting another person about uh, the sin that's going on in their lives. Well, let's look at the next verse. But if he or she will not listen, let's say you confront them about the sin, it's not a misunderstanding, it clearly is sin, and they say, hey, you know what? I'm not sinning. That's what people say sometimes. Or I am sinning, but I don't care what you think. <laughs> okay? Uh, so they blow you off. But if he will not listen, Take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Now we're going, now wait a second. This is getting deep here. Okay, now I understand the concept of going to a person and confronting them with their sin, but now you're taking, telling me to take a party along with me? <laughs> yeah. Well, let, let, let's slow down here, all right? Now in the Old Testament, to establish any fact, you had to have two or three witnesses. Uh, repeat it over and over again. Two or three witnesses. So the purpose is, <clears throat> excuse me, the purpose of these witnesses coming with you is not because they saw the sin as well, those type of things. It's to establish the fact that this person has not repented of their sins. Now let me say one thing here. When you get to this particular point, if you go to a person and they haven't repented of their sins, they have a hard heart. Uh, you need to, to, to speak to God and pray to Him and sense what the next step is. And if you get to this step, it's really probably wise to come uh, to one of the pastors here and talk to us about it so that we can speak into the situation because it's, it's a little more complex here, okay? The first step was, was hard, uh, but it even gets more complex at the second step. And, and we'll guide you and I mean, every situation is different. Now, we, we follow this pattern here, but every situation is different, so you need to have a lot of wisdom that's mixed in here and that kind of thing. And uh, But, you know, if you come to us and we say, yeah, we need to go to the next level here, uh, it might be a pastor that sits down with a person or an overseer or a small group leader, whatever the right mix might be in order to talk about the situation, that they have a hard heart 
about to establish whether they really are sinning, number one, and whether they are hard-hearted about it. That's the whole point here. Now, let me uh, uh, flesh this out even a little bit more, okay? Uh, what we're talking about here in uh, doctrinally-wise is church discipline. This passage, Matthew 18, 15 through 20, is the definitive passage on church discipline. Now, usually when people think about church discipline, I, people have a lot of baggage about church discipline and things of that nature. They don't fully understand it. Most churches don't practice church discipline. They'll just let people live whatever type of lives uh, that they want. But that's not the case here at Springbrook. We practice church discipline. The most important thing to understand, I guess, about church discipline is that it's not negative. When we think of it, we think, oh, that's a real negative thing. You know, tossing somebody out the church doors, you know, that kind of thing. No, it's not a negative thing. It's a challenging thing. But the whole goal is to restore that person, the person who's hard-hearted, the person who's rebellious, whatever. We want to bring them back to a close relationship with Jesus. And, and Jesus Christ has laid out a pattern here. And, and it's real fascinating. And this is what I encourage you to do. Always be self-feeding throughout the week, reading the Word of God, spending time uh, with Him. Uh, read Matthew 18 this week. Read it and study it. it. It's fascinating because throughout the chapter there's a theme. And Jesus Christ is talking about us, Christ followers, as children. Okay? We're seen as His children. In the sense that we need to enter the kingdom of God. It starts out in Matthew 18. We need to, the first part of it. We need to enter the child, enter the kingdom that is as a child, with, with the faith of a child. And then it goes on to talk about anyone who would lead a follower of Christ astray. Oh, that is where you don't want to be. He talks about <laughs> the fate of those people who lead somebody else astray, you know, the millstone over the neck, that type of thing. And then he goes on talking about caring for the children of God. And he uses the analogy of a shepherd and how a shepherd, if they lose one sheep, one sheep doesn't return uh, to the sheep pen, uh, he leaves the 99 and goes out and seeks after that sheep. Now, most of us think about that particular story in that chapter about evangelism, but that's really not the context. The context is, is that a Christ follower has drifted away from God. They've gone their own direction. They're doing their own thing. That's what the context is. And what, what Jesus Christ goes out, he does, and he goes after that person who has drifted away from him. So that's the, the next part. And the part after that, the, the passage that we're studying right now, is about discipline. You discipline your children, right? Well, in the same way, God disciplines us. And that's where this passage fits in. And it's about church discipline. And you notice the first step of church discipline is one-on-one. -on -one. You see, the people who do church discipline are not necessarily, the primary people at least, are not the overseers, our leadership board, here at Springbrook or our small group leaders, the people who do church discipline are you. You're the primary person in church discipline. You're the primary person who's been called as you're in relationships with people in your small group and friendships to speak into another person's life. So again, when we talk about this whole area of church discipline, you guys are the ones who are supposed to do it. And hopefully it ends at the first level. When you confront a person and they say, you know what, you're right. I've been thinking about this and I really need to confess this sin. So I really want to change the way some of you who've been involved in church for a long time, what church discipline means. It's a group effort. We're all trying to keep each other accountable to the standards that are in the Word of God. And why do we discipline people in the first place? Well, it's because we love them. Look at Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 through 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves. As a father, 
his son he delights in. Why does God discipline us? Because he loves us. That's why we discipline our children, right? Discipline is not pleasant for a parent. It's one of the hardest things we do because it takes so much energy. And I see some of you parents running around with young children, and I just go, oh, mercy. (laughs) God bless them, Lord. I remember those days because you're constantly disciplining them and over and over again, especially with certain personalities. (laughs) It's like, you know, that's, you know, 75% of your conversation with some of your kids are disciplined. (laughs) You don't have time enough to talk about other things if they, again, have a certain rap uh, to them. Strong-willed, that kind of thing. Uh, (laughs) But why do you do it? Because you got the big picture in mind. You know what life is going to be like in 20 years. And you know if they don't submit to your discipline, they're not going to submit to a lot of other things. And they're going to create a lot of pain in their life. So though you're dead tired and you have no more energy left, you continue to discipline your children, to take the time to sit them down and explain to them where their thinking is wrong and where their heart is at and how they need to, again, repent of the sin that they're committing. And I tell you what, it's going to pay off for you. So many of us who are older can uh, speak to that, uh, that God uses our discipline with our children. I have 20 year old and 18 year old and 16 year old and uh, they're not perfect uh, but you know Lori and I all the time we spend in discipline we can start to see some of the fruits of that discipline so I just want to encourage you young parents there are fruits that come from it okay there are fruits now it says here my son do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke we tend to despise discipline right and if you sat down with your 12 year old this week and said, I'm grounding you because of this. And that 12-year-old responded, Dad, I'm so glad that you made that choice. I'm so glad you've restricted me from everything fun in my life. I'm so glad I can't play video games. I'm so glad that I'm going to have to go without food. I'm so glad... No, I'm just kidding. Well, how are they going to respond? You know, they're going to be angry at you, right? They don't understand why you're doing this. How could you be so mean? You know, you're just trying to make my life uh, uh, a challenge. Uh, But we know why we're doing it. And sometimes when the Lord disciplines, now how does the Lord discipline? Well, typically he, he disciplines through circumstances, through problems. Through challenges. Now, it's, it's hard to discern if something comes your way. I mean, if it's a direct result of sin, obviously, it's discipline. Uh, but if something else happens, uh, is that discipline? Well, you can ask yourself, hey, am I, again, in sin? <laughs> it might be discipline then. You just never know. But God has a way of ringing our bell, right? When we get far from Him... When we're in rebellion, when we're doing our own thing, boom, he comes down and he gets our attention. And usually you can connect the two. (laughs) The Spirit does that for you. That's one way of discipline. But another way that God uses is what we're talking about right here. Somebody speaking into your life, a friend that comes along and says, Hey, I see this sinful pattern in your life and I'm very concerned for you. Because if you continue in this pattern, you're not going to experience intimacy with Christ. And you're going to hurt other people. That's what a true friend does. And God is using you, in a sense, to discipline someone else. And somebody else is going to discipline you in the most loving sense of the word. Could be your wife, could be your husband, could be your kids, could be someone here in the church body and and again our initial reaction is like who are you to tell me this who are you to say that I've got an issue in my life and that's how our kids respond who are you to discipline me 
That's why, again, it says, my son, do not despise or resent his rebuke. Because that's our usual response. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves as the father, the son, he delights in. So we're talking about disciplining one another in the sense of approaching a person that we love and care for and either confronting them about how they've sinned against us or how they're sinning in a general way. You see something in their life. It's not impacting you per se, but again, it's impacting their life because it's sin in a negative way. It's impacting them. And so, so it might be that uh, they've fallen into some type of sinful pattern, pornography, or uh, maybe they uh, are... Uh, uh, sexual promiscuity, uh, an affair. Uh, it could be they're just extremely negative about everything. Their spirit has really changed or they're filled with bitterness about something in their life. I mean, you know, a whole range of sins. And, and you feel called by the Holy Spirit uh, to be a part of this discipline uh, process. Uh, let's see how God does this. Matthew 18, 12. We're going to back up a little bit in the chapter and talk about God caring for us uh, as children. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? So again, the context of this, as I mentioned before, is a Christ follower who's drifted from God or is in rebellion against God. And what Jesus Christ does is he continues uh, to hound that person, you know, the hound of heaven, right? Going after that person. And you can be a part of that process. I tell you, every one of you know somebody who's drifted from God. It, you start to see it in a person's life, a friend of yours. And uh, they used to really be on fire for the Lord and in sync with Christ. But their priorities have changed. There's other things that have come into their lives that have tempted them to make other things a priority. And what they talk about starts to change. Some of the people they're hanging with, uh, some of the things they're doing, uh, their language maybe begins a little bit to change. They start to distance themselves from you because they don't want to you know, be anybody, <laughs> near anybody uh, that knows... Uh, the Lord closely because they're going the other direction. Uh, or maybe, you know, they, they kind of drop out a small group and they say, oh, I'm just so busy. And you just you just sense the Holy Spirit speaking and say, no, it's something different. And then their attendance at church starts to wane. And you know, it could be a bunch of things that, that you know, the Holy Spirit saying to you, you got to go after that person. Because that's many times how Christ goes after people. He goes through us. So think about that person who you know who's drifted from him. And what God is asking you to do, I believe, is to go after that person and make that phone call. Sit down at lunch with them. However is the best way to communicate with them and say, I'm really concerned about you. You know, three years ago you were on fire for Christ, and now it seems like all these weeds have grown up in your life and you don't care that much about God and you're doing this, you're doing that and that's a hard conversation to have but you need to have it. God commands you to have it with another person because He's put you in that person's life to bring them back, to confront them in their sin and pray that they would be filled with a heart of repentance. And if they turn their backs, well, they turn their backs but you've done your responsibility. You spoke to them, and God will use that in ways you, you'll never understand. So we need to do that. Now, there's a lot of excuses that people come up with. Oh, I can't confront other people. First of all, I am not spiritual. I tell you what, somebody should confront me. <laughs> Raise your hand if somebody needs to confront you. No, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> we'll have a confrontation session up here after the service. But the point being is that, hey, I messed up. You know, who am I to tell somebody else how to live? Well, that could be true. You need to clean your life up first before you confront somebody else. Jesus Christ uh, speaks in Matthew 7, 3 through 5. He says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? So Jesus Christ is being funny here. Okay, Jesus Christ is very humorous, but we don't pick it up because it's kind of like Jewish humor back in the day. 
Uh, but they loved exaggeration. So you got to imagine, you know, this guy with this huge two by four uh, coming out of his eye, all right, and he's looking at this guy with this little bitty speck in his eye, and he's gonna, you know, banging him with his two by four as he looks at him. <laughs> It's kind of humorous, right? Uh, you know, what does Jesus say? Well, how can you say to your brother, let me take a speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now, what's very interesting here, this is verse 5. You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and you have no right to confront someone. No, what does it say? And then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So, man, if you've got so much sin in your life, you have a responsibility, not only, obviously, to God first, and for you second, to ask Jesus to clean up your life in order that you might live for Him and in order that you might fulfill the command of helping other people to live for Him. So if you've got sins that you're not repentant from, if you've got patterns in your life... Turn that around first. One of the motives for turning that around is so you can help other people because that's your responsibility. You need to close the loop there and go back to that person you couldn't go to before because of your own sin. Another excuse that people ask, well, I can't judge anybody. Oh, no, no. I can't judge anybody. Look at Matthew 7, 1. Do not judge or you too will be judged. Right there. Oh, if I tell somebody they're doing something wrong... That's judging them. That's making them feel bad about themselves. We shouldn't do that. Come on, guys. Come on. Judging, again, is that idea of spiritual superiority when you look down on that person and say, let me, get you, let me help you get your life together. When you confront somebody about your sin, it's one sinner to another sinner, saying, hey, we're all broken. We're all just you know, works in progress. But the Holy Spirit has prompted me to talk to you about this issue in your life. That is what it's talking about here. And we need to keep that in mind. This is so important uh, to understand. When you are part of the family here at Springbrook, all right, we're accountable to one another. And this is probably the biggest barrier we have in confronting another person about their sin. Because in the United States, we're all about independence. Live and let live. Hey, I'm going to live my life the way I want to live it. Hey, people can do whatever they want. Friends, that is not the Word of God. No. When you become a Christ follower, you become a part of a family. And you have a standard, which is God's Word. And we are to live up to that standard through the power of Christ. And we are accountable to each other. We are a family, working together, living together. And if we see somebody who's not living up to the standard and we feel prompted by the Holy Spirit to go to them, we need to do that. Now, one thing I want to throw in here. I mean, you know, <laughs> there's some personalities that would take this too far. Well, I'm just going to go find sins and <laughs> confront people and... You know, strangers confront other people and strange things go on. I mean, you have to have a relationship with the person to confront them, okay? <laughs> right? and, you know, you have to have a certain type of relationship to confront them. And so, again, I just want to throw that caveat in there that you need to be sensitive to the type of relationship. Maybe have somebody else needs to confront them. But I'm especially speaking to those people that you're close to. Those are the people you have the most responsibility to, to speak into their lives. But... but we need to be accountable to each other. And friends, this is why church membership is so important. I know some people say, I don't need to be a church member because I'm doing everything that a church member, you know, is expected to do. And, you know, why do I have to, you know, it's not in the Bible, all that kind of stuff. The importance of church membership is that you're saying, I'm committed and I'm accountable. You're making that statement because if you're not a church member, I'm not sure about that. Are you committed? When you become a church member, you're saying, I'm committed to this church. I'm committed to celebrate together on a weekly basis. I'm committed to connect with people in a small group and uh, grow together. I'm committed to contributing, contributing my time and my energy to ministry, contributing my heart and my passion to loving people to Christ, evangelism, and, 
and contributing my financial resources to fund God's ministry in order that we might do the work that God has called us to do. Those are your commitments as a member. And then you're saying, I'm accountable. Hey, if I'm not regularly in services, if I'm not part of a small group, if I'm not involved in ministry, if I'm not, again, reaching people for Christ, if I'm not giving sacrificially, you can hold me accountable for that. You can ask me what's going on in that area. You're a member at this church, and you, again, have made these commitments, and you're not fulfilling them. That's what membership is all about. It's all about accountability. And unless you say you're a member, I'm not sure where you're at. So that's why I always encourage people, uh, you know, if you've been here a year, attending a year, you need to start really thinking about membership. And if you've been here three years and you haven't become a member, my question is why? Why? Uh, you should dialogue with somebody about that because I really believe that if you cannot become a member here at Springbrook, that means this really isn't the right church for you. Maybe you need to find another church that you can become a member at because if you fundamentally disagree with what membership is all about, and if you haven't been to our membership class, I encourage you to do that. If you fundamentally disagree about something here at Springbrook, about the core of what we're all about and what we're trying to do and who we're trying to reach, this isn't the church for you. You've got to think through that and process through that. So I know that some people put off membership for different reasons, but I'm just throwing down a strong challenge here. It's time for you to step up and become a member because we're accountable to one another. We're in relationship with one another. We confront each other. We love each other. We encourage each other. But we need to know who's on the team because we need a strong team to get the job done. So again, if you need to be baptized by immersion after you've made that decision to follow Christ, we have a, a wonderful baptism celebration coming up at Lake in the Hills, Lake uh, Indian Trail Beach. Uh, I think over 30 people are going to be baptized. Put it on your calendar, September 21st. We're going to be celebrating that day. And there's a baptism class next week you can come to uh, that's required. Uh, so put that on your calendar. Mark that on your communication card and do that. Or come out to our membership class. All right? But again, don't take membership lightly. It's not an optional thing. It's something you really need to do if uh, your God has called you to this church, okay? All right, uh, so we, we go back to Matthew eighteen sixteen, and we see, but if he will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Now, let me tell you what typically happens. If, uh, for example, church leadership has to get involved in a situation, either the person repents which, of course, we hope they do, or they leave. They'll just leave uh, the church. And that's unfortunate because people just leave and go down to the next church. And some churches aren't, you know, they don't practice church discipline as seen here, unfortunately, but we do. And I can remember when the church first started out, uh, there was a man who uh, struggled with the sin of alcoholism, and he, uh, you know, had a real tough time. And, and you know, I just... And the other leaders loved him so much. And I remember one summer, I think I spent uh, two weeks over the period of a summer with him at his house and trying to help him, uh, you know, turn us around. It was a very challenging addiction. And uh, I told him, in fact, some of the leaders told him, I said, listen, next time, you, you know, you get drunk and next time you get in trouble with the law, whatever happens, you know, we're going to have to remove you from membership. That's a form of church discipline. And he did that. And uh, we removed him from membership. It was out of love because we wanted God to ring his bell. And thankfully, uh, God did. God did ring his bell, and uh, he became clean. And uh, I just talked to him about a year ago. He was going to move up this way, but he didn't. But if he would have moved up this way, I would have said, hey, be a member. Because the whole, whole purpose is restoration. That's the only person we removed uh, from membership. But uh, again, you do it very carefully, you do it very lovingly with a lot of wisdom and prayer when you work through those particular situations. Now with other people, now people who are living together uh, and not married, you know, we won't allow in ministry here at Springbrook. That is in a sense a form of church discipline saying you've got to get that area of your life and it's so accepted today. 
it just confounds me. But uh, you know, I understand why kids buy into it with the culture we have, but it's wrong. And we, we need to continue to stand with the Word of God and say, no, this is not right. And you need to repent. And you need to fix. That's why I don't do many marriages. Because that's one of my requirements, you know. And so, yeah, I don't get a lot of calls. But, uh, yeah, but hey, that's fine, man. You know, whatever. Um, so, and this is what we see in verse 17. Uh, if he refuses to listen to them, so you brought the witnesses in, you've established that he has a hard heart, tell it the church, and if he refuses to listen even to the church, now, how does that work? Well, we haven't had to deal with that very often. Um, but the point is that if a person, we, we've confronted them, and they say, hey, I usually they'll leave the church at this point. But if they don't leave the church, uh, and I don't think we've ever had this situation, uh, you tell it to the church. And again, how do you tell it to the church? How do you say that a person is hard-hearted and they're not, you know, repenting from their sin? Well, uh, in our church, we might go to, uh, for example, their small group and say, hey, this person's hard-hearted and, you know, uh, whatever, you know, we've decided those type of things. Uh, go to their friends or if they're involved in a particular ministry, we might tell those people in the ministry, but we go to the church and tell them. Now, the point of that is that other people will confront them about their sin. That's the purpose. So they'll put pressure on them and say, hey, you're not living the life here. You've got to turn things around. And, uh, and if they refuse, and if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. That means to turn him out of the church, ask him not to attend anymore. And uh, that's a difficult thing. But that's what Jesus Christ teaches. A tax collector, you know, they were hated because they were hired by the Roman government. Uh, to collect their taxes, which people hated. And then on top of that, the tax collectors, you know, jacked up the rates, which they could, and stole from their fellow countrymen. So pretty serious stuff. That's what Jesus Christ teaches. Now, here's something very interesting uh, in verses 18 through 20. This is another part that you kind of go, what? Uh, it says, I tell you the truth. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I tell you that if two... Of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For two or three come together in my name, there am I with them. Now, what does that have to do with what we've been talking about? <laughs> oh, what? Well, let's look at this. Uh, I tell you the truth whatever you bind on heaven will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, this is a rabbinical saying. This is what rabbis used to say. What they would do when a person came and they're dealing with sin, if the person. Uh, repented of their sin, he said, the rabbi would say, you've been loosed from your sin. If the person didn't repent, the rabbi would say, you've been bound by your sin. So God is taking this particular phraseology and he's applying it to, excuse me, the church. So in a sense, when you have two or three witnesses that come and say, yeah, this guy is hardcore against, you know, repenting, uh, we actually, in a sense, are speaking for God. We're cooperating with God. We're doing His work. And so the people who say, yes, we establish this as fact, this person is not going to repent. Actually, God is speaking through us. What we say on earth is spoken in heaven and vice versa. Uh, so that's how that works, all right? And it goes in verse 19. Again, I tell you that two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three come together in my name, there am I with them. Now, if you just take those two verses, what does that typically apply to? What topic? Anybody? Prayer, right? I, I've, I've used it for prayer. <laughs> but you know what? It's not about prayer. Think about it. You always have to look at the context of a passage. Uh, the temptation is to take a verse out like these and say, well, oh, that's great for prayer, more power in prayer. But again, it doesn't teach that. It says, again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree, what are you agreeing about? That this person either has repented or not repented about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father. What will be done by my Father? Well, the cooperation saying, yeah, that guy's not repenting or that guy is repenting. That's what you're agreeing about, and that's what the Father's doing for you. It's not a blank check. Right? For where two or three come together in my name, there I'm, I am with them. You know, I thought about that verse and say, well, when two or three get together, there's, you know, 
God's there in a very special way that He isn't when I'm alone. No, that's not what it's teaching. It's, it's saying when you come together in this very special part of church discipline and you agree that the person is repented or not repented, God is there with you in a very special way. I'm really sorry to burst your bubble about those verses. <laughs> the point is, is that I do believe prayer is powerful, whether you're praying individually. And I do pr- believe that when you pray together, God uh, is there in a very special way. And the more people praying, the more power you have. All I'm saying is these verses aren't talking about prayer. And that's a good lesson for us when we're reading and studying Scripture to realize you've got to look at the context around the verses to see where they fit. I know there's been a lot of information today. Let's look at our next steps. I always encourage you to think about what are you taking away from this message today? You can take out your communication card and underneath uh, your name, where you write your name, you have the numbers 1 through 10. And as the Lord leads you, you can circle one of these numbers. Number one, I will challenge a drifting person. I really encourage you to do that. I know somebody came to your mind. I want you to talk to that person this week. Pray about that. Circle that if you feel so loved. Number two, I will read and meditate on Matthew 18. Self-feed. Learn more about that particular uh, chapter. Let the Lord speak to you through it. Number three, I'm interested in the baptism class next week. Talk about that. Number three. Number four, I will pursue membership. Maybe the Lord's spoken to you about that and you want to start that process. Number five, I will invite someone out to the picnic or concert next weekend. We have a great weekend next weekend. And again, we need to be an inviting culture. And we want to invite people to church, but some people will never come to a service. But they might come to a rock concert, okay? (laughs) Or they might come to a picnic. I mean, that's a great thing to invite family out to. So as you start to think about our events here at Springbrook, don't start thinking about am I coming or not coming. What you need to think is who am I bringing? That's the main question. Who am I going to invite to this thing? Because we're not just doing this for our people. We're doing it for our people, but more importantly, we're doing it for the people who don't know the Lord. So they come out and have a good time and meet some other Christ followers and the Holy Spirit can touch their lives. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this very important passage that uh, is very challenging. I pray that each of us would digest it this week and think about how we might apply it to our lives. I especially pray for those drifting people that came to mind. I pray that we would contact a drifting person and do lunch with them and spend some time with them. It might be difficult, might be uncomfortable, but just to show them uh, that you love them. Lord, thank you for your word and how it continues to feed us, encourage us. Thank you that it's living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Uh, Lord, uh, thank you uh, we can be together today to lift your name up. In Christ's name, amen. For our shoes could come.